Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Lines Lit by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and trapped with me in the content mine somewhere in the Paraguayan jungle is Liam. Hello, Liam. Fuck you, man. I've been here for two weeks with Nick. Uh, it's like that episode of Archer where they got fucking stuck in the jungle. Uh, I'm Archer. Nick is a combination of Ray and Cyril. I've been lugging him up mountains for the last two weeks. Just fits Corraldoing uh, Nick through the jungle. <laughs> yes. Uh, now I actually can't help but to see Nick as a, as, as a very large ship and you as Werner Herzog. Um, this is a very convoluted intro. <laughs> Fuck. This is certainly not a podcast we've had to attempt to record twice due to a computer crash. Uh, and we're on part four of the uh, War of the Triple Alliance. Uh, if you have not listened to the previous three parts, what are you doing? Turn around and listen to the other three hours or so worth of podcast before you end up here. Or don't and be very confused. It's well, yeah, a free baby. world. Yeah, <laughs> just do what, do whatever you want to do. And that actually happened with our Russo-Japanese war series. Everybody just listens to part three because it's about the, the dumb naval mission. And I get that. You could actually listen to that one in a vacuum. I don't know if there's any part of that uh, uh, that you could do that in this, this series. I don't know. Do whatever you want. I don't care. No, this matters. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel that. So... Liam, when we left off last time, um, the allied forces of Brazil, Uruguay, and Argentina crushed the Paraguayan counterattack at the Battle of Tuyiti. Uh, President Solano Lopez, a man who once fancied himself as the future emperor of the plate and the South American Napoleon, retreated, leaving a field of his own dead in his wake and uh, killing all future offensive Paraguayan plans to end the war. This is where I tell you the part where the allies, seeing the road wide open in front of them, seize the opportunity, launching a counterattack, catching Lopez in his retreat, destroying what was left of his mostly malnourished and diseased army, and marching straight to the Paraguayan capital, ending the war. All right. Good podcast. See you next week, everybody. Yeah, that's part four. Uh, We will see you uh, next week. Uh, This has been an exhaustive two-minute long show. Um, Uh, Have a good one, guys. Yeah. But that didn't happen. Uh, of course, no. that didn't happen. Um, no. I, if someone ended the war, I mean, I wouldn't say they they fought this war competently or anything, uh, competently or anything. I never do. So. <laughs> but if if they ended the war in such a a normal military uh, maneuver, that would actually be shocking for what happens in this war because that does not happen. Um, the Allies just kind of kind of sat there. Um, Lopez escaped, and the Allies lost uh, lost the chance to end the war right then and there. And I don't want to say uh, like they're incredibly stupid for not jumping on this opportunity there's a good chance they didn't actually know how much of an opportunity they had and uh there's there's also a very big question if they even had the uh, capability of launching a largely unplanned spur of the moment wide-scale counteroffensive they still hadn't quite figured out how to do reconnaissance so i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna go on a limb here and say that they did not have the ability uh, to snuff out Solano Lopez right here and now. Um, now, in retrospect, it's clear that time was on the Allies' side here, and they would grow stronger while the Paraguayans would consequently become weaker and weaker. Remember, they're still under blockade. Uh, the country is un- under a iron grip of a blockade. Uh, with the combined effects of all of the disease and starvation sweeping through the Paraguayan armed forces and then trickling down into society as a whole, on top of one of the most thorough conscriptions that you could possibly have outside of conscripting women, which they haven't done. Um, like Paraguay was not in a good spot. No, as we're going to learn. It, yeah, this spot only gets worse. Um, yeah, I, I said the thing. Play the air horn. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
it's going to get consistently worse. Now, the allies, while it is true, they will continue to get stronger. That's really only because they're fighting someone like Solano Lopez. And if they were fighting anybody with um, military competence or even the same level of manpower pools to draw from, the allies would be shattered. But, you know, they're picking on Paraguay. (laughs) So not not to say that Solano Lopez did not start this whole fucking problem, but still. However, um, this idea of starving Paraguay out was not the intention of of President Mitter, who was still the Allied commander. Uh, He did not want to delay and starve the Paraguayans into surrender. I mean, because remember, as we've talked about seemingly endlessly, the field was killing his soldiers too, like thousands all the time, not to mention the massive strain it's having on the uh, Argentine and Brazilian economies. And Uruguay is still largely a pile of rubble from constant war. So like this uh, prolonging of the war was, was not on the allied commander's mind. Uh, He certainly didn't want to like besiege an entire country. He simply lacked the ability to take advantage and launch a counter operation. And furthermore, it seemed like they really understood that they couldn't really manage a large-scale military invasion of Paraguay. They're like, ah, I don't think we could fucking do this, guys. Everybody has typhus. You can do that if you're not a pussy. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't be a you. bitch. You can do it. <laughs> Dragging your compatriots. Because <laughs> like, there is some on-the-job training going on here in regards to military command and small unit leadership, but they still have no like logistical organization to carry their half-dead diseased asses across the finish line. Remember, we last episode, we talked about how thoroughly their formations fell apart when they're just marching unopposed. So right. then they get lost after what, like a mile or something in some cases, even when they're not lost, like they could know exactly <laughs> where they're going. Like, oh, fuck, everybody died of like sudden onset smallpox or some shit. Um, and any advance was going to be very, very hard. Uh, there are river forts, which is kind of the backbone of the Paraguayan defensive structure. Uh, and uh, that lined their their route of advance to the river because that's the the I guess you could consider them the highways of Paraguay. There's no roads through this right, frontier right. area. The easiest way to to move is via river. So there's river forts everywhere. And Admiral uh, Tamandare, who is the Brazilian uh, naval commander and therefore the allied uh, naval commander, because Brazil does have the strongest navy, refused to move forward uh, unless he had army support. Uh, when attacking these forts. Understandably. Yeah, I, I get that. Though Tamandare is a bit of a coward, uh, to use a, a word strongly, mostly because he's doing that because he's hoping the war ends before he has to send his navy in. He doesn't want to lose his navy. Uh, he And like, well, if I was going to give him the most charitable explanation of that is he he doesn't want to lose his sailors, but that's not what it is. He doesn't. Yeah, he just doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to do it, and more importantly, he you know losing an ironclad or something in combat would make him fucking look bad. So he was purposefully slowing down uh, offensive operations, even if it does sound tactically sound where he needs ground support, which he which he would. The problem is, of course, is that uh, nobody knew how to do that. Nobody was like schooled in the concept of combined arms warfare with the riverine navy. Like they're like uh like flipping open a book that's all in crayon. Like nobody. Nobody knows how to do this, Tamandare. Uh, So rather than do that, the Allied soldiers simply settled into their positions. The Brazilian nicknamed the sector uh, that they were stuck in the Lina Negra, or the Black Line. Now, this could be because the the Estero, which is like the the river, um, had black clay. uh, But it's more likely because of they were literally surrounded by death. Oh. Uh, The forward trenches... Yeah, so like you could consider like the the Lina Negra being the the black mud, which sure they probably were all caked in disgusting black mud, uh, but also everything smelled like a fucking graveyard exploded. <laughs> but also corpses. Yeah, um, like the forward trenches ran through uh, the the undergrowth, and at times were so close to the Paraguayans, they literally shit talked one another, and occasionally would throw bottles and trash back and forth. Good. So that's my kind of warfare, especially because everybody speaks the same language. So like this shit talking transmission is very, very easy. Um, And uh, like the Paraguayans were almost consistently noted for uh, not like, you know, in like situations like this in other wars, whether it be World War Two or or World War World War One, World War Two, even the Spanish Civil War, uh, where uh, 
soldiers would be stationed so close to one another, they'd kind of like have an agreement that you wouldn't shoot at one another unless they were given orders because they, right. everybody's just trying to live. The allies note that the Paraguayans would always fucking shoot at them. <laughs> right. Um, and that kind of goes into uh, why this war is kind of championed in Paraguay to this day is that the, the Paraguayan soldiers truly did have nearly unbreakable discipline. Uh, no matter how many losses and how bad things got, they they never really were like depressed or <laughs> like falling apart at the seams. These motherfuckers that, don't have shoes or food and they're shitting out blood and they're like, look, an enemy. <laughs> and they take a shot at him. And the the allies in comparison absolutely do not want to be there uh they're like i'm not in like because you could frame this before as like well they're invading brazil they're invading argentina like we have to defend our homeland but now they're in paraguay and like man this fucking blows and i'm covered in black mud and poop yeah how much of this is mud how much of this is blood and how much of this is shit uh good news Who knows yeah. that's the fun yeah we, we called it the slurry um so like and these uh uh, trenches were almost always flooded um there was rotted bodies everywhere and it's may so it's hot it's humid everything smells like putrid swamps and rotting corpses uh which by the way those swamps were also choked with the dead uh so it was like a disease pit they were all living in so they were literally up to their ankles in death and sickness for hours staring off into the distance and the only thing that really separated them from this existence is uh, artillery bombardments, which the Paraguayans did almost constantly, uh, which would then be returned by the Allies. Although uh, the Paraguayan gunners were considered much better, uh, so but they were everybody was so dug in that these artillery bombardments really did nothing uh, other than just keep you awake, be vaguely annoying. Yeah. Though uh, I should point out that at this point, Uruguayan President Flores, the man who has nearly died countless times, also nearly died again. This guy loves almost eating it. This time, it seemed like every time he went to a different bunker or dugout, it would be immediately hit by artillery. (laughs) Like he was blown up multiple times. uh, And each time he escaped death only by inches. Uh, And I'm honestly not sure if this is good or bad luck anymore. Uh, I'm sure it sucked to be the people that had to be like around him. Right. Now, Lopez gladly made use of this month uh, where everybody was stuck on the black line um, to recuperate the best he could. Now, I, I use the term the best he could very, very heavily here because there's no recuperation going on in Paraguay anymore. Um, he replaced his losses, though the new recruits were um, not the best. So they were either too young, too old, or too handicapped in some way to be considered soldiers uh, uh, to anybody with working eyes. Though, good news, at this point, all of the recruiters are probably also dead, and the re- new recruiters are blind. So, so you, know, you know, it works out. You know. Yeah. As soon as their training was over, which boiled down to pretty much just teaching them how to shoot and reload a musket. So before, the training was very, very abbreviated for their, their conscription purposes. That was abbreviated even further. And it's Lopez had a brilliant plan to fix this. Are we talking like Japanese pilots at the end of the war abbreviated or like way more? Um, (laughs) So these guys literally, uh, the best I could tell at best, they were taught how to fire and load a musket. Though that was not always the case. (laughs) Um, They weren't weren't really taught how to march, which is important in this kind of warfare. Um, They weren't really taught how to do Anything other than like, here's how you fire a gun. Listen to the guy in the fancy hat. And Lopez had something of a brilliant plan um, to make up for this gap in training. And it's something that's so awful. I think it's something straight out of Warhammer if I didn't see this out of a fucking uh, like out of an actual history book. So as soon as these replacements got to the forward units, he would immediately order those units to attack. He believed that combat experience was more important than actual training. Ah, uh, okay. So yeah, uh, like fucking God Emperor Solano Lopez of Warhammer 40k. Uh, like that—that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard uh, in four and four plus years of doing this show. Like even in wars where people weren't really getting training, 
It was under the understanding that we simply do not have time. They didn't try to like church it up with ah, going and getting church mustard and gas is like better than actually learning marksmanship. It's like we don't have the bullets or the time to train you. Hopefully you pick up some shit along the way. Like the Iran Iraq war comes into mind. I was going to say just watch enemy at the gates. It's fine. Ugh, don't even get me fucking started on that goddamn movie. It's a good movie. No, it's not. It's not. Yes, it is. Fuck you. Movie. I'll die on this goddamn hill. It's a good movie. The love triangle is very erotic. You know it's good. Not doing this. I'm not doing I will not be baited. Uh, you, uh, I don't know. I feel like you've already been baited. I've already been baited, yeah. I've already won. Yeah. Like, it's fine. But, so, <laughs> like, I, I honestly, I... I, I'm stretching my mind thinking of something. If I've heard a general think of something this stupid before, sorry, a Marshall president think of something this yeah, stupid. Show some respect, Joe. Now this didn't just go for new recruits. Though it was important for their training. Remember, Lopez ordered constant probing and raiding attacks, assuming that if the oh, allies were probing and raiding attack, we we love a good probe. Assuming that if the allies were constantly bloodied, that they would eventually get sick of this shit and go home. Like he was slowly developing his own concept of attrition warfare, though he was losing. Oh, like all he was doing was throwing. Why not? (laughs) Yeah, he was throwing men into a meat grinder for nothing and he had no replacements for them. Like this kind of warfare would work if, say, Paraguay was Brazil because you have a large pool of manpower. Endless dude. Sure. Yeah. Um. The Paraguay did not. They're already like they've scraped through the bottom of the barrel, picked up the the weird mud that accumulates under a wet barrel, and then dug below that to where the ground is dry again. Shaking it and hoping a conscript comes out. Yeah. yeah. Now, these raiding and uh, uh, probing attacks would occasionally take enemy positions, only to be immediately forced right back out of them due to being badly outnumbered. And not to matter, not to mention, like, their newest 80-year-old draftees or whatever, keeling over from a heart attack in the middle of combat, which, that's not a joke, that happened. That's uh, that's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was noted that one, one of the new draftees died, uh, like, in the midst of combat from, like, I don't exactly remember what the word he used for it because he didn't say heart attack but he's like effectively a panic attack where he cr- he like grabbed his chest and fell over because he was old like no a cannon shot made that old guy stroke the fuck out so his plan was flawed as soon as he thought of it because it required him to attack constantly and attackers are always going to take more casualties than defenders however he's going to lose most of those occasionally he'll win a, a defensible spot but then he's forced to defend it against a group of, of more dudes that have more people so every single time he did this he lost more men than he could replace meaning he is fighting a war of attrition against himself yes uh he he is it it might be the greatest cell phone that we've ever talked about like i've never heard of anybody launch a war of attrition that they feasibly could never win and they're like of course like the, the the major wars of attrition that come to mind is like vietnam or something but even that if you wanted to truly commit to it the United States had the ability to kill everyone in Vietnam. So, like, if you really wanted to buy into the into that doctrine, they could win if they wanted to, like, I don't know, be the worst war criminals in recorded history. <laughs> um, but, like, in this situation, this war of attrition, it was impossible. He was never going to win. But, of course, as we talked about, I believe, in part two, he, he just he wasn't listening. Uh, like he wasn't listening. And he's like, uh, Marshall, President, uh, Emperor, whatever. We simply have no men left in the country. We'll find more. Okay. Easy peasy. Yeah. Arm arm those kids over there. Um, and no, like they're at some Ooh, point. Some Paragu- defense of Berlin shit. I like it. Uh, there's kids as young as 12 already in the ranks at this point. Like if you're a 12 year old that looked kind of old, you're fucked. Uh, like when I was like 12, I looked like I might be 14 or 15. I'm 100% getting drafted in the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially if you're like kind of tall and have all your fingers. You're definitely fucked. Though the fingers weren't a sort of deal breaker. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. You're going to go die for President Solano Lopez in like 15 minutes. As soon as your commanding officer coughs on you and you shit out your own lungs. Saves white. Now, this included weird plans to dig secret trenches into the middle of the night around enemy lines to get within reach of Allied headquarters. And this isn't unheard of. Like, uh, mine warfare is a thing. Uh, it has been like the U.S. did it, or uh, the Confederates did it. Uh, the U.S. did it in the Civil War, um, digging mines in like one right that happened. Oh too. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, dig- mine warfare was huge during uh, the Western Front of World War One. 
you dig a mine, you either spring out or whatever. I mean, fuck Hamas does mine warfare. Right. Um, uh, you either dig a mine, plant a fuckload of explosives and get out, or you use it for infiltration. It's nothing new. Um, and this plan almost worked. But when the Brazilians saw what they were doing, because remember, they're very close together and you can hear people digging under you. Um, they launched an attack, assuming the outnumbered Paraguayans would see that their plan had failed and would retreat. But instead, they fought tooth and nail for hours. Hundreds more died when the Allies chased them off. And even then, they didn't slow Lopez down. Adhering to the tried and true, throw enough shit to the wall and see what sticks concept of warfare, he just kept sending patrols in to harass the Allies. All of them were fended off, but it made the Allied soldiers paranoid. Uh, like th- this was at this point, this is not only attrition warfare, but also guerrilla warfare. These aren't like human wave attacks. These are small groups of infiltrators, like low crawling through the mud for hours in the middle of the night to get a couple shots off. Because remember, these are fucking muskets. It's not like you could sneak up with a machine gun and like ambush an Argentine patrol or whatever. Right. They're crawling through shit corpses and blood for fucking hours to fire once and then scamper off into the night. That seems, uh, I mean, it didn't work. Not enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. If somebody told me to do that, I'm like, well, it's time for me to saw my own leg off. Please wait, Joe. Makes you more aerodynamic. Um, but this did have the unintended effect, I believe. I don't think Lopez was this forward thinking to think that this is going to happen, that it made every allied position deeply paranoid um whenever they heard like rustling in the bushes like oh fuck the paraguayans are back and they would open fire there's like eight of them it's okay (laughs) i mean to be fair these small groups of paraguayans may not have been the greatest trained may not have been um clothed in any way at this point (laughs) boy did they have heart (laughs) i mean they did they they had they had discipline they they knew how to fire a gun and they were not going to retreat I mean, the same couldn't be said for the Allies. Like they, If the Allies had the option to run and not fight, they would take it. Unless it was like a big set-piece battle, they had no problem abandoning a position. They had no real incentive to fight. They have no incentive to fight. Most of these guys aren't even being paid anymore. Uh, and they knew that there'd be some counteroffensive to take it back. So they didn't care. So, you know, they were deeply paranoid that there was like a bush full of starving 10-year-olds armed to the teeth coming for their blood. Uh, so they would, if something moved in the night, they'd shoot at it. And, and most of the time, it was their own people. Eventually, the Allies realized every time they chased off the Paraguayans, they would just come back. And they would, if they needed to, they needed to stop this constant raiding because it was getting annoying. It was making supply hard. Um, you know, getting constantly punched in the face is annoying, even if it's a jab. Sure. That stands to reason. So they came up with a plan to assault the Paraguayan rear trench, which guarded the passage across the Estero called the Bocoran. Um, the Bocoran was a channel some 40 yards across, which led directly down towards the trench uh, that they were commanding all of this from. So the idea was smash through that, take out the rear trench. They'll have to pull back. They won't be able to continuously do this anymore. Sure. Now, this is manned by three cannons and hundreds of men behind fortifications of earth and tree trunks with a ditch in front of it. A tree trunk might not sound like a whole lot, but it's effectively bulletproof. They're firing muskets at one another. Even now, a tree trunk is decent cover. And the, the ditch in front meant that as they assaulted, the defenders would have the high ground. So it's a very defensible position. Um, sure. Now, from behind this, the Paraguayans could lay down nearly uncontested fire. On either side was dense, unpassable undergrowth, and this meant that the attacking allies were compressed together in a very, very short front, and they were given no like option don't like that. but to launch a frontal assault against a fortified position, which, fun fact, you don't want to do that. No. The allied commander called it a, quote, funnel of death. <laughs> mm. At a distance of 400 you yards- You thought butt chugging was unfortunate. Oh, that's the true funnel of death. Now, at a distance of 400 yards, a charge was ordered amongst the Allies directly into the Paraguayan line. Those who survived the volley of fire soon found themselves smashed up against the fortifications, engaged in frantic hand-to-hand combat. The Paraguayans fought with everything they had within arm's reach. Because remember, many of them were not issued bayonets. Right. Not able to reload their muskets quickly enough, they threw musket balls and sand and mud at the attackers. 
Uh, they kicked, right. punched, stabbed, and latched onto the allies with their goddamn teeth to fight them off. Yes, we're back to teeth fighting. <laughs> <laughs> people often say hand-to-hand combat. I prefer teeth-to-teeth. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the good shit. I mean, you have to, at this point, you have to hope of all of the diseases that your body is racked with if you're a Paraguayan soldier, you don't also have scurvy. So, like, you bite into something and your teeth just bend. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you, Joe. You are so helpful. Have I ever told you that? One man was using a discarded cannonball as a bludgeoning tool. How? Just picking it up and c- caving people's just, heads with okay. it. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Major Ivanovsky, which, if you notice that name, is decidedly. Not Southern American <laughs> was no. actually Polish, uh, and was a uh, because there's a lot of Europeans at play here as well uh, as there always is in 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 war during this period. There, it's like um, during Napoleon's invasion of Russia, the operative uh, language of the Russian army was actually French. Uh, <laughs> like, I'll get it, you, man. Weird shit happens, but he's he's Polish, and uh, he had taught himself Spanish uh, not well. He was at, he was leading his Argentine battalion from the front, and he turned and urged his men on. Though the joke uh, amongst his men was that his Spanish was so bad, nobody could understand what he was saying. So they saw an angry Polish guy waving a sword around. <laughs> the Paraguayan soldiers finally fell back with the Allies collapsing into their position out of exhaustion, assuming that they had broken the back of the Paraguayans and they had won the battle. Unfortunately for them, they seem to have not learned how to fight Paraguayans yet, and the counterattack came within hours, and they were caught sitting crisscross applesauce in the trenches eating their lunch. I like that they were sitting crisscross applesauce. Feel bad. (laughs) After all of that fighting, they were almost immediately driven out and back to their lines, because at this point, they had no fight left in them. They're like, fine, you can have it. Leave us alone. Goodbye. Goodbye. Flores insisted another attack be launched with a colonel in charge, knowing how fucking stupid that was, but powerless to stop it. He agreed, saluting Flores and saying, quote, goodbye forever. Now, the soldiers charged once again across the funnel of death, already littered with their own dead and dying directly into the Paraguayan guns who shot them to shit once again. This time they didn't stand a chance and barely anybody even made it to the defenses. In the end of these of this battle, which would become known as the Battle of the Bokoran, it would cost the Allies three thousand men for no gain. Hell yeah, dude! So Love Lopez it. won a battle. Uh, he just happened to not be in command of it, or even remotely nearby. <laughs> By August of eighteen sixty six, the Allies had been in Paraguayan territory for four months and had done virtually nothing other than hemorrhage bodies. It was clear that simply camping out there and waiting for Lopez to see he wasn't going to win was not going to work. And during this time, I should point out, negotiations are ongoing, but they're going nowhere. Apparently. Um, th- this is mostly for um, uh, the, the reason that the Allies' main goal to end the war was, to remember, to unseat Lopez. Right. And Lopez, it turns out, is not a fan of that stipulation. Ah. Even, like, European powers are getting involved. Uh, like, America, uh, the English, the French are all like, you guys should really cut this shit out. It's not really doing anything. Uh, also, it's, it's hurting your exports, and we're not fans of that. Oh, no. Um, and uh, they don't really go far with it because, I mean, the, the main stipulation is complete surrender by Lopez, at which point Lopez would almost certainly be shot. Um, though I believe it was uh, uh, one of the neighboring countries, Belize or something, was like, okay, well, Lopez could come here. And Lopez is like, no, fuck you. I'm staying. <laughs> So it's a pretty big hitching point. Now, they realized that Lopez was not going to surrender, and Mitter insisted the offensive couldn't go on because the Allies lacked horses to move anything, which actually was not wrong. In a war council meeting in 30 May, in response to Flores' criticisms at the time and the lack of progress of the war, he pointed out that the Argentine cavalry strength of 1,700 men had only 600 horses, and those horses were not in good health, and most of them would probably die soon. While the Brazilians only had two to three hundred mounted cavalry, and the Uruguayans had none. Now, this is actually just their their mounted war horses. This is not draft animals like they would need right. to move. You know all the things you need to fight a war. That's because most of their draft animals were dead, dying, or eaten. So oh, yeah, oh. the Argentine <laughs> Mr. Ed's fucking going down. He's going to eat some uh, some Tesco beef. Ah. <laughs> Now, the Argentine government put an order out to forcefully requisition uh, from their own population 
whose governors had uh, ignored orders recently to hand over any animals that they had that could be used for the war effort. And if you're, if you remember back to how we explained the Argentine government structure, it's really easy for them to just ignore these orders. Sure. Um, or lie like, oh yeah, like we actually have a thousand horses, but uh, here's 30. Uh, and they did the same thing for conscription as well. Like the, the, the provincial governors were not super uh, close knit with the central government and the, the provincial governors were still refusing to work with them uh, out of an order for 1700 men. They only sent 173. Uh, so That's like they were off, man. Yeah. They were doing that with everything too. Like requisition for food here, have a hamburger and fuck off uh, bye, requisi- bye. requisition for a horse. Here's a picture of a horse. Uh, well, well, this was Use going your on. Imagination. <laughs> well, all of this was going on. Internal bickering between allied commanders slowed everything down even worse. As someone was trying to get the Brazilian Navy to do their job and attack the river force, and Tamandare was still refusing to do that. Then, because Lopez would try anything once, no matter how insane it was, he decided to play the wily e. coyote card. Aided by a British chemist and Polish engineer that he had kidnapped and forced into slavery, they had began slapping together torpedoes. Um, now. These were literal. Remember the uh, the canoes, the armed canoes. I do remember the canoes. These are kind of like those canoes, but they're loaded down with explosives and set off down the river to harass the enemy navy. Now they would explode on contact sometimes. Other times they had like a timed fuse. Suicide bomb canoe, love it. Well, there's nobody in them, so oh. uh, no, there's not. Nobody's becoming the Paraguayan martyr. Um, but uh, they did send these canoes flowing down the river at people. And these things were hilariously unstable. I mean, this is late 1800s chemistry we're talking about. Uh, they occasionally blew up their own handlers. Though every once in a while, they did hit their target. Uh, the Brazilians figured out that this is actually a really easy way to handle these. Um, because they were their hope was to fuck up the blockade, fuck up the Brazilian Navy, do something. Because they, lo- they had lost the ability to strike out at them. Right. So the Brazilians figured out a really easy way to deal with these canoes. Because uh, remember, they're powered by the river current. They're just like kicked down the river. They didn't move very fast, so sailors would uh, paddle out on perimeter boats and just kind of like poke them with a stick, and it would send them off course. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's really hard to call something like a funny or a cool weapon when it can be defeated by like a conscript with a stick. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know. Uh, nobody sees a counter poke coming. I suppose they were, they were defeated by a Facebook feature. That's tough. <laughs> That's yeah. a tough way to go, man. Though going back to your idea of canoe suicide bombers, that did actually happen on accident one time. Oh, and going back to your comment about Archer, this was done by an American scientist known only as Kruger. <laughs> oh, splendid. Now, he attached a pole with an explosive on it to a regular canoe with the idea of ramming an enemy ship with it. Uh, now, this would require it to be aimed, which means he would have to paddle it in and then dive out to safety. Right. Sure. That sounds insane. And uh, Lopez actually did shoot this idea down for being too fucking stupid. Pussy. Uh, he's like, that seems like it, it won't work. You probably shouldn't waste your time. You're more useful doing other things like building my Wiley Coyote canoes that are defeated with a stick. Uh, but Kruger insisted that it worked, uh, and he, on his own, jumped in his canoe and set off for his first and only mission because it oh. blew up on its own when he hit a wave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he killed only himself. And after this, the Paraguayans stuck to the tried and true fire ships, uh, which, you know, work, work a little better. Finally, to get themselves out of the stalemate, the Allies devise an attack on the town of Cruzu. Now, this is a garrison of the main Paraguayan battery of artillery, and it would, they would load around 6,000 soldiers onto the Brazilian ironclads, and after a bombardment, they would invade. The men landed uh, uh, without much of a problem on shore, which is uh, you know normally better than they have been doing these things. Right. But as soon as they did, uh, the ship, the Rio de Janeiro, was hit by one of those insane torpedoes, uh, and it killed most of its crew. <laughs> so... Whoops. Um, eh, that, that is the way the cookie crumbles, unfortunately. That's a, imagine being infantry and being like kicked ashore. Like, don't worry, we'll support you as it explodes behind you like an action movie. Right. Um, now, knowing the Paraguayan tendency to reinforce positions way beyond the point of purpose, the Allies got behind their positions in the battery and dug a trench to fend off any incoming soldiers because they knew that once to settle down into a piecemeal battle, 
uh, they would just be harassed constantly by guerrilla bands of Paraguayans who refused to retreat. Sure. Then when the Paraguayans saw this, they decided to light the bushes on fire. Hell uh, yeah. <laughs> now, this is a good idea in theory. Uh, burning out an enemy is something that's worked before. Unfortunately, this is a plan that was only half thought up. Nobody thought to test the wind direction first. Oh, <laughs> So they ahead. set themselves on fire. <laughs> now, the, the wildfire burned right back towards them, uh, which forced them to run away. However, once again, someone forgot the uh, the scaling ladders. Uh, so the Allied assault on that battery was a uh, was a lot harder than it should have been. Instead of sticking around and fighting the Paraguayan 10th Battalion, seeing that the Brazilians had come up on their flanks, decided that this shit's lost. It's time to bounce. Right. Uh, also, I imagine accidentally lighting yourself on fire is quite demoralizing. Yeah, what would that? Uh, the rest of the garrison stuck around and fought, uh, I, I, the rest of the garrison being not members of the 10th Battalion, and they decided to stick around and fight. And they lost 700 men in their failed and futile defense. It was very stupid. This goes back to last episode where I pointed out that Lopez wanted all of these places to fight until the last man, um, right. rather than form a large functioning defense. Was, each one was going to be like an Alamo, which not a good Poor idea. Yeah. Now, finally, the Allies had launched an attack and succeeded, but again, they failed to push their advantage and said just sat there, content with their win. In front of them was Kurupaiti, the final position before the main Paraguayan fortress of uh, Humita, which was the base and linchpin of the country's organized defense. Like, this is such an important fortress that Lopez himself spent a lot of fucking time there. Um, right. It was a fortress Lopez uh, Lopez believed to be completely and totally unassailable, mostly oh, because no. yeah, you know where that goes. Mostly because he hadn't been paying attention to the fact that during his rule, it had largely fallen into disrepair as modern military technology caught up with the concept of building forts. Um, this this fault falls on him and his dad because if you remember, they were both stealing all the fucking money the country the country had, right? And uh, uh, Huma Ita had largely been left in the dustbin of history it's it's a lot like those belgian forts during world war one they're like aha these are built to withstand anything and then the germans just rolled up like a siege cannon and destroyed it in an hour uh a lot of living in the past here now uh Kurupaiti was completely and totally undefended and they could have just rolled right in but the allies didn't uh and this would end up royally fucking them Meanwhile, Lopez reacted to this loss with the level-headedness and poise you would expect from him. Colonel Jimenez, the commander of the 10th Battalion, and his deputy were demoted to sergeant, which is weird that demotions work that way, Um, while other officers had to draw lots to decide who would be executed. Fuck! Half of them were shot, as an example to the others, and their survivors were reduced in ranks. To further drive the message home, the battalion itself, the enlisted men, we're subject to decimation. One out of every ten, right? Yes. Uh, and for or? people that don't remember, we've talked about decimation before on this show. Uh, that is one man in every ten would draw a lot. The one with the short lot would be taken from that group of ten and be executed by the other nine. Normally by being beaten to death. I like so, it. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, of, of course, the, the motivating factor behind this is if you refuse to take part, all 10 of you would die. Um, uh. After he's done being a massive asshole, he ordered the defensive crew of Piety to be constructed, assuming he only had a few days before the Allies showed up. Instead, they gave him three weeks, at which time he turned the area into a fortress. Uh. The attack was scheduled for the 17th, and the fleet was prepared. Uh, Allied reinforcements had been brought ashore, so soon 20,000 Brazilian Argentine troops were ready for action. However, yet again, the weather intervened. Although the morning was dry and the armies were ready to head out, there was no sign of movement from the fleet which was supposed to transport them. Miter, curious at what the hell was going on, was informed by Tamandare that he felt rain in the air. What? Yeah, so he refused to move. Because fighting in the rain back then was a bad idea. Like, water is bad for powder. If you can help it, you're not going to launch an offensive action while it's raining outside. Uh, and as weird as this is, and I, uh, when I was reading this, I assumed he was just being a dick again. He was actually right. And a torrential downpour started almost ah. immediately after and would last three days. The attack was rescheduled for the 22nd, and it was, they pushed it back that far because it gave the ground enough time to dry. Wet sure. ground is bad for cannons. Uh, it will just like swallow a cannonball. 
Uh, not all of these are exploding cannonballs yet. Like they're still the old timey ones that bounce across the ground and rip people's legs off and shit. Uh, so if the ground's wet, they just go and get stuck and do nothing. <laughs> it also makes it harder for men to march, et cetera, et cetera. Wetness, bad. Thank you, Ben Shapiro. <laughs> <laughs> doctor bad. Now his wife's the doctor, right? Yeah, yeah. He's just a internet troll. <laughs> Now, on the 22nd, three Brazilian ironclads moved closer and began shelling the enemy positions. Infantry commanders immediately saw the problem with the unfolding plan. The Allied commanders had given Tamandari orders to blast the Paraguayan positions to reduce the huge amount of obstacles and entrenchments that had been made in front of them. Like, they, not only had they built fortifications, they built infantry obstacles, like huge uh, groups of branches and logs and ditches that these... because. You, they would easily be able to get over them, but it, it makes you break up your formations in order to do so. Sure. So it's, it's a huge pain in the ass. The idea was, obviously, the Brazilian Navy would blow those things up, but also enemy soldiers. However, that didn't exactly work because Tamandare didn't actually have the ability to guide in his cannon fire. He could not see what he was shooting at, oh, and therefore delightful. he could not see if he was hitting anything. And there's no communication method where like a forward observer would be able to tell him because those weren't a thing yet. Um, not for like naval gunfire and stuff. So not to mention the main reason for this is like, well, their infantry support, why don't they have optics? They're built for fucking river combat. They don't they have no usage for long range optics. Right. So they're just kind of like lobbing things off into the distance and Tomandari Tom figured the, for the best. Yeah, he figured, well, I've been shooting at him for an hour. That should be good. And then signaled with flags to the infantry. We out. And then like, it's your turn now. Um, and then the uh, artillery battery on land opened fire to cover their assault. Mitter discovered with horror that Tomandari had ranged the guns, uh, the, the fleet's guns completely incorrectly. And every shot he had fired had landed short and hadn't even touched the enemy defenses. Oh, terrific work, bud. The allies were drawn up and ready to attack just under a mile away from the Curapati main trench line. And the Brazilians were on the left under the command of General Porto Alegre. And the Argentines were on the center and right. On the Brazilian side, nearest to the river, there is a fair amount of bushes, which were hard to get through. These aren't like... They're, it's, it's like jungle and shit. It's hard for me to, to understand how thick foliage has to be in order you can't get through it, uh, but they can't. Bocage in Northern France type of deal, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can't just like lower a shoulder and plow through this shit. <laughs> um, but it did give them um, cover and protection, or concealment, rather. They, it wouldn't stop any bullets, but also the, the, the Paraguayan defenders wouldn't be able to see them coming. As for the Argentines, on the other hand, their ground was wide open. No cover, no concealment, and the second they left camp, they were immediately exposed to fire from the Paraguayan artillery and muskets, which had been ranged incorrectly. These fucking idiots, dude. Jesus Christ. Some of the men were weighed down with ladders, which... They did bring this time. Um, uh, now, get better. Get better these every were, time. Uh, these were finally brought to scale earthworks, which the Paraguayans had uh, dug, and something called a fascine, uh, which was a bundle of sticks uh, for filling flooded ditches. So the idea oh. was you chuck these down, they become a bridge, like a, a pontoon bridge. Uh, you throw them down, soldiers can cross it. The soldiers had been given so much gear to carry that they were doubled over. Now, they were heavy. Uh, these, remember, these guys are also sick, kind of malnourished, yeah. too. So they couldn't really see where they were going. The advancing columns broke up almost immediately upon running into the various obstacles put in their way, including trenches, piles of discarded trees, rocks, etc. Many died while trying to uh, force their way across all of this shit while under direct fire from the Paraguayan trench line. They also discovered that the fascines floated on top of the ditches uh, rather than uh, like hold them up like they were the, they were supposed to be long enough to cross across the entire thing sure. they weren't they simply floated on the water therefore completely useless outstanding work so so men had to drop down into these flooded ditches which were chest high wade across and climb up on the other side all while being shot at from only a few hundred yards away the attacking force had been completely broken up by the advance. Instead of large units of soldiers, they, they now clawed their way forward in small, pretty much random groups, totally unable to get orders from their officers or update them of what had happened. 
when a line finally did manage to get formed, it got hammered with very, very well-directed Paraguayan artillery at close range until it simply ceased to uh, exist. They know how to aim now. Oh, the Paraguayans know how to aim. Oh, uh, my bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, they are very good at gunnery. Uh, they have worse guns, but they're better with their worst guns. They make guns. up for it with heart. Yeah, that's right. They, you know, it's like Yu-Gi-Oh, the heart of the cards, but the heart of mass scale industrial slaughter. Nailed it. Yeah. Four kids, call me. I'll write you a show. Mm-hmm. Um, only on the far left did the Brazilians find some success. They were protected by the thick brush, which allowed them to get close to the enemy trench without them being seen. It managed, they managed to advance with fewer casualties, and one small unit actually succeeded in breaking through the line, though because it was one unit, it be- immediately became isolated and all of its men were killed. A reserve brigade, which was sent in to follow up this assault, became confused when they saw the returning dismounted cavalry mistaking them for the enemy. Oh, now, no. Instead of shooting at them, they thought that this was a counterattack. So seeing the, the cavalry running back through the lines, they're like, oh, fuck, it turned around and ran. Oh, Jesus. The slaughter went on for two hours before a general withdrawal order was given. But then due to some confusion, officers who hadn't heard the withdrawal order demanded their soldiers turn around and attack. So they did, only to be shot down some more. This went on for another two hours. Within the four hours, 4,000 men were dead on the attacking side. The defenders only lost about 100 men. Jesus. Which is one of the most lopsided battles uh, in this entire war. When all of this was over, the Paraguayans left their trenches and uh, came out to scout around the Allied dead and wounded. They stripped them of their weapons and even their uniforms, as many of these men were now literally naked um, and their uniforms had rotted off their backs. For the Allies, the battle was a complete disaster, both militarily and politically. Every country involved in the Allied force immediately began blaming one another for their defeat which is, of course, reflected in how the militaries worked with one another, devolving into little more than arguments uh, and some commanders not even being invited to meetings anymore to plan future war uh, efforts. (laughs) Which, if you're wondering, that sounds like it'd make future battles like this more commonplace. It would sound like that. You're correct. Oh. Now, the blowback from this loss crippled the elected government of Brazil, and the liberal government fell, being replaced by a new one ran by a guy named Luis Alves de Lima y Silva, nicknamed the Iron Duke. Unfortunately for Lopez, the Duke was actually quite good at his job. Uh, and and well, at least the part where uh, the, the war part of it, he immediately fired Tamandari and another general named Porte Alegre, who was just involved in that, uh, that battle, and replaced them, as well as becoming the supreme commander of Brazilian troops himself. However, that didn't mean the war was about to jump off on a new footing. Instead, it ground down to a halt yet again. This time for an entire year from September, from September 1866 to August of 1867. For Lopez, there just wasn't anything he could do. His army was bleeding just sitting there and it was too weak to try to force the allies out from their positions. Not to mention his country was, as a functioning entity, able to support any war effort had ceased to be. The blockade on top of everything else had rendered Paraguay a ruined, failed state. He was unable to feed his people or his army, and the people who hadn't dropped dead yet weren't very far from doing it. Though that didn't stop him from still doing Lopez shit. Oh, like, boy. like ordering the foundries to scrape together whatever metal they could to produce huge, comically large cannons that could be fired back yeah, in, uh, further back into allied bullshit. lines. Yes. Like and these all had names. Like one was the General Diaz, which is a thirty-two pounder, and the Cirillo, which carried a one hundred and fifty pound shot, wow. um, a ten-inch rifled cannon made from the melted the, uh, melted down metal of some church bells. Was named the Cristiano, was brought up to shoot at the Brazilian Navy from afar. Now, not to be outdone here, the Allies sent up an observation balloon. Um, this balloon immediately caught fire and killed its operator. <laughs> uh, win some, lose some. Uh, the second crack at it worked, though. But uh, when the Paraguayans just started grass fires to cloud the air with smoke, the uh, the uh, the balloon the balloonier I don't know what to call these guys. Um, I think balloonier, uh, yeah, yeah. Stopped using the balloon. He couldn't see anything. Huge camps of camp followers formed in the nearby towns because remember these these are no longer mobile armies. 
their garrisons at this point. So these towns swelled with camp followers, all of them hustlers in various shapes and sizes, sure. and they all formed a better functioning supply system for either army. So, of course, this is where cholera started. Yep. It made its first appearance at the Paso de la Patria via a troop ship uh, before spreading through the armies of all the warring countries as well as the surrounding civilian populations. In the confined spaces of military camps, especially with the inadequate and polluted water supplies, it found a very comfortable breeding ground. In a particular outbreak, over 4,000 Allied soldiers died, and people think it was possibly double that on the Paraguayan side. This number does not account for the several times over uh, level of deaths that were occurring within Paraguay as a whole from cholera. Nobody had medicine to treat it, but Lopez banned the use of the word cholera. So that should fix it. Oh, that fixes it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll work. But the disease and the collective deprivation of war and the blockade was burning through Paraguay. Uh, they forced contributions of clothing for soldiers, which is a scheme by which every family had to donate one shirt. Uh, which at the best of times, this was fine. Like people could get more clothes. Yeah. But, uh, no one has any shirts. Yeah. They've done this like six times over now. There's no shirts left. The, the whole country's naked. <laughs> now, women were forced to work longer hours in the field only to see that food that they were cultivating go straight to the army, leaving nothing for anybody else. Prices for everything skyrocketed beyond the, uh, beyond the means of normal people. Like uh, the the barrel was not only being scraped clean of uh, in terms of soldiers, but for everything else. In October, the important functionaries of the state, including port officials, doctors, customs officers, were all forced to go join the army. Even oh, seven year olds were sent as ox drivers, to, at which point they'd eventually become old enough to be conscripted. In May of 1867, they sent draft officers to the local leper colony. Oh Jesus! <laughs> Christ Almighty, dude. Here, have a musket. Oh, your hand fell off. Uh, well, oh, still- no. <laughs> Saves weight. The supply of rifles, ammunition, and other war material was maintained by the British-led foundries. And I, I say British-led here. Those guys were not volunteers to work for the Paraguayan government. You actually can't br- blame the British for this one. Uh, they were effectively kidnapped and used as slaves. But that meant that Paraguayans were, were never seriously short on that front. Though, yeah, it's... Uh, that uh, they didn't have food, but they had, they had bullets. Well, you don't need both. And most of industry, most of the industry remotely connected to the war effort uh, was seized by Lopez, uh, and not necess- not necessarily become state owned, but become Lopez owned uh, because he was the state, right? Uh, and the people within those foundries and 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 shops were forced to continue working there. Uh, if if you didn't like working conditions. There was a wall for you. Uh, so yeah, he effectively enslaved the entire country. If you, I mean, if you weren't enslaved by a conscription memo, you were you enslaved at the foundry. Uh, you're enslaved at the foundry. Uh, the foundry. The foundry. The foundry conscription the found, the memo. Found In other areas, however, there's much more serious problems. Drugs and medicines for hospitals ran out pretty quickly. This led to efforts of people to replace them using natural herbs and plants. And much like your weird cousin on Facebook who attempted to ward off COVID with essential oils, they died. Yeah, that'll happen. They ran out of salt, which sounds like uh, a minor problem here for people. You need to preserve meat. You need it to preserve meat, but you also need it to to medically combat dehydration. Okay. Um, which was endemic uh, because there was a huge lack of clean water. Um, the the general lack of food was also an issue, but only because uh, an endless diet of meat uh, from captured uh, animals and stuff kept people afloat for some time, which, going back to my scurvy joke, ended with an outbreak of scurvy. Oh. Now... This too began to diminish. You can't eat meat forever. Eventually, these people, like, they're Tall that to Jordan Peterson, dude. <laughs> you mean the glass of apple cider vinegar that sent him into hallucinations for a month? Apparently. Definitely not the Zans. <laughs> it wasn't the fucking Benzos that did that, bro. Uh, so, like, their, their food collective methods require them to advance to enemy territory and steal their livestock. When you couldn't do that anymore, the meat ran out. So that, too, began to diminish. And the daily rations dropped off from... One eightieth of a steer per man to one two hundredth. So that's not anything. Uh, The meat they were getting was also pretty rotten at this point. And Paraguay stopped paying its soldiers a long time ago. They actually ran out of paper money. 
uh, and it became worthless. So they've, they've also achieved hyperinflation. Oh, good. Yeah. Speaking of that, life within the army went from Zimbabwe, bad to- any percent speed run, baby. <laughs> uh, I, you know, this might be the one situation where I say Solano Lopez makes Robert Mugabe look good in comparison, but I don't feel comfortable <laughs> saying that. No. Speaking of that, uh, life within the army went from the stereotypically bad to the insane. Lopez was the only authority that could authorize the death penalty. Say the thing, Joe. And then it got worse. Yeah. <laughs> God, even the siren sounds depressed. <laughs> so Lopez himself, being the only marshal, was the only authority that could sign off on a death warrant. And he began to throw it around at people at random. A soldier caught sleeping on duty was shot. The man on either side of him was uh, was given 25 lashes. And the corporal in charge of, the, of that section, 40 lashes. The sergeant, 50 lashes. And the officer that was sent to Lopez uh, to be executed or reduced in rank. This is for falling asleep. It's just like a, a chain reaction of everybody being brutalized. Right. In one case, a lieutenant named uh, Yabenez was shot for daring to remark that the enemy seemed well dug in. And another named uh, Private Candido Alaya was executed for repeating the trash talk of an enemy soldier that, had been, that he had heard shouted across the trench line that Lopez was, quote, a pot-bellied old Indian. It's not, yeah, they're, it's they're not, even, that, too. It's not yeah. even that serious guy. No, he, he, he got clapped for that. Uh, another was executed for leaving camp to visit his wife who had just given birth and was following them as a camp follower. And a lieutenant who refused to get up when he was woken up got clapped too. Since this wasn't working for Lopez's liking, soon the families of soldiers would be punished along with them. Yay! It's a, Discipline! Uh, in case uh, you're this, wondering... Is that good punish... What is it? Your seventh generation shit? Yeah, something like that. Uh, in case you're wondering why the Paraguayan military had such ironclad discipline, it's because if you sneezed wrong, your family would die. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. Uh, meanwhile, in Argentina, President Mitterrand was forced to return home as his country collapsed into another pseudo-civil war as providence is turned against the government, probably seeing an opening as their army died by the thousands and everybody was you know, without food and horses and shit. He returned home with thousands of his soldiers to crush the rebellion, which he did succeed at doing, but uh, Argentina wouldn't be able to commit as many soldiers in the war going forward after that. Sure. In July 1887, the war is about to jump off once again. All prospects of the war ending without total defeat were discarded, and all attempts to mediate uh, it to a peaceful end, whether it be from European countries or anybody else, were completely ignored by the Allies and also Lopez, because... You know, Lopez wanted to end the war with him still being in charge of this pile of corpses he created. Right. Still, the thing was that uh, kind of uh, got to appreciate his. Uh, I don't know if I'd call it a can-do attitude at this point. Stick to itness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they still had to conquer the Paraguayan fortress of Humaita, uh, which Miter meant to encircle. The Iron Duke, the most able military commander of the entire war by far, marched his men around into position without a problem. Though Lopez had ordered a guerrilla war to be launched against his supply lines as he went, which they did try to do. These ambushes often involved thousands of men on either side and could almost be turned battles unto themselves, though they were all mostly indecisive. On one occasion, the Paraguayans succeeded in capturing a wagon full of paper, which is a highly prized item for them because they could not make that anymore in Paraguay. Sure. And unable to carry it all, they hid it in the undergrowth and on successful nights came out to bring as much paper back as possible. Outstanding. Nope. Just, just to show their level of deprivation, these guys were launching raids to smuggle paper. Though ev- uh, eventually, the Iron Duke found it easy to lure them into traps because of how hungry and deprived they all were. They literally could just like throw a wagon full of like grain out and wait for the Paraguayans to try to, uh, to, to steal it. And on one of these occasions, the trap killed 500 Paraguayan soldiers. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. He's smart. Like he's, he's the only commander who actually learns. <laughs> like... Within a month of being ambushed and his supply columns being victimized, he's like, oh, this should be easy to figure out. Just put some food out there and wait for them to come. And that's exactly what happened. Oh, God. Of course, being encircled would not stop Lopez from launching an attack, and he sent 8,000 men to burst out from it. Stick baby. His goal was to get close to the enemy's main supply point, loot their cannons because he was having a shortage of those, uh, and it would also make any siege of Humaita impossible if they have no cannons, right? So simply burst through, raid their supply points, and jack some cannons. 
Easy peasy. Somehow this kind of worked. Oh, God. The Paraguayans crept up in the middle of the night before the attack to within close range of the Argentine forward positions. Before dawn the next morning, they snuck so quietly past the sentries that barely a shot was fired and most of them were dispatched by knife point. Since the distance between the two positions in the first trench was short, they were able to attack the next one by a complete surprise uh, and with bayonets alone as to not wake up the rest of the camp. Sure. They took the second line of trenches with equal ease, sending the Argentines and Brazilians retreating back across towards the main base, abandoning their guns. So in less than 15 minutes, the Paraguayans had effectively accomplished their entire mission. And then everything went to shit. Um, Their commanders immediately got overconfident. And instead of returning to their base with their loot like they planned, they're like, we could just attack their supply point. So they rushed out to press the attack on the main supply point, totally ruining their sweet stealth mission and abandoning their guns behind them because they were so uh, quick to raid this uh, supply point. They hadn't even made sure to like secure the cannons first, just leaving them in place. Mm -hmm. As they burst into the supply area, all discipline broke down. Men abandoned their units and began looting anything that wasn't nailed down. Though most of them are just trying to steal food and clothes. Responding allied soldiers were able to shoot them with ease as they were too busy eating and drinking anything they could get their hands on. This entire episode caused Lopez another 2,000 men, and he, of course, called this a huge victory. No, they did well, not steal the cannons on their way back out. Doesn't matter. Toss it out. It's fine. Doesn't matter. Had steak as he's like getting shot in the face. <laughs> Though like most of his victories, it did not matter. He was encircled at the fort, and the allies were uh, able to throw a chain across the river blocking the fort from any resupply or reinforcement. Again, the stalemate sailed across and throughout the summer of 1867 and 1868 and would last into the winter. Mitterre le- left the Allied army once again, forced to go home and deal with more uh, messy Argentine politics, and overall mm-hmm. command was finally given to the Iron Duke. Then in February, Flores, the Uruguayan president, was forced to step down you know, because of everything and then was shot by a group of assassins. <laughs> Of the original, Not too uh, soon. Now, if you're keeping track at home, the of the original national leaders of this war, Lopez was somehow the last one standing. <laughs> I got you right where I want you, bitches. <laughs> Unfortunately for Lopez, however, the Iron Duke was a very good uh, military commander, as we've already seen, and now he's a complete Allied commander, and that meant this war was about to take on a whole different shape. The Brazilian Navy stormed through the Paraguayan River defenses made up of chains, torpedoes, and other obstacles without losing a ship. Because despite the ability to churn out ammo for muskets, the Paraguayan foundries could not make armor-piercing ammo for their cannons. So the Brazilians with their ironclads just kind of got cannon drums fired against them and did nothing. Like the, Their uh, regular cannonballs just smacked off uselessly in, the, uselessly in the side. Go listen to our ironclad episode for more. Um, this is a bonus episode, I think. Yeah. Uh, go listen to that. Please do. The ironclad just putting down the river, and like shit bouncing off the side as they just rake them with cannon fire. As this is happening, the army launched the attack as well. And this is where the Brazilians in their attempt to modernize their army had accidentally fucked themselves. Many of their new soldiers had been outfitted with state of the art Belgian made guns known as needle guns. Are you familiar with needle guns? I am. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to go into them super deep because they're they're kind of considered a middle point between a musket and a modern bolt action rifle, and mm-hmm. they fucking suck. Now they jammed constantly, or sometimes simply failed to work at all. Uh, other times they exploded in their users' faces. Uh, so they, somehow they're in a situation where a musket would be a better option. Um, so after three attempts to capture the fort, many men simply discarded their new rifles and picked up the old ass rifles from their dead enemies, while others were forced to use their Belgian garbage rods as clubs. <laughs> However, finally, the fort did fall. Before that happened, Lopez evacuated himself and ordered the government to be moved out of the capital to a town nine miles away. This was not a voluntary move. Everyone was ordered to march inland with, uh, towards their new capital or be shot. Yeah, all right. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Good news, everybody. You're getting a new house or else. Now, with the fort finally in allied hands, that opened the river. And before long, the Brazilian Navy would be in port and at Suzion. But now with their capital being shelled and Lopez living on the run, 
the war would still somehow not end. Solano Lopez swore for content, baby. (laughs) Solano Lopez swore Paraguay would fight to the bitter end, and God damn it, he fucking meant it. And that is where we'll pick up next week in the conclusion of the War of the Triple Alliance. And I promise you, things will get much, much dumber before that everything is over. (laughs) (laughs) So we are now. Four parts in. How you how you, how you feeling about the War of the Triple These Alliance? These people are all morons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, what sucks is the one competent military commander at a national level is the Iron Duke. And I'm calling the Iron Duke because I I don't feel like butchering his name every time I say it. Sure. Um, is a bastard. Like politically, he's awful. Of course, <laughs> yes. Why are we surprised? I, I, I think shortly. A- I think shortly after the War of the Triple Alliance, he leads like a military coup. Uh. Yeah, he's not he's not good. Um, but you know, in a in a septic pond, he's the turd that rides to the sur- the the, r- the rose to the surface. Yeah. Uh anyway, Liam, plug your shows. Uh listen to Ten Thousand Losses and listen to Well There's Your Problem. We just recorded a bonus episode yesterday. Death for the Death to the NCAA. I can agree with that. Uh yeah. and thank you everybody for listening to the show. If uh if you think this show is worth your worth your time and money, feel free to throw us a dollar on Patreon. You get bonus stuff, keeps the show going, helps us buy more things. Um, if if you don't, that's fine. It's your money. Use it as you see fit. But leaving a review is free, uh, and it it helps us with algorithm reasons. I'm not entirely sure why, but uh, sure. throw us a review on whatever your podcasting caster is. Um, that helps us a lot. Uh, and until next time. Uh, needle guns suck. <laughs>